Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. That's right, my people. My wife, Bianca Kylie. What? You scared me. Well, I'm in the middle of something. Papa. What? Now I know how Moon, how um, Kevin Gragtoon makes the um, little sauce for my, I am adorable. Taste it. Doesn't it taste just like it? It's fantastic and it's delicious. It actually tastes better. It tastes actually just like it. Thank you for that. Thanks, honey. <clears throat> Where were we? All right. My daughter came in and ruined my song. But I'm okay with that. Because I'm a real bad boy. And my songs aren't what I do. It's who I am. So here is episode, episode number 11, Mikey Likes You, featuring my wife, Bianca Kylie. Hello everybody, welcome to a very special Mikey Likes You. Why is it very special? Well, because I'm your host. Every episode is special for that reason, but this one actually is extra special. There's a kick-ass hot sauce added on top. What is that hot sauce? It's my amazing wife, Bianca Kylik, everyone. My hands are all sweaty. I'm, it's weird. It's from that. being close to me. Like I'm nervous. We're just sitting in our house. Did you ever get nervous around me, like when we first started dating? When you first kind of met me? <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. You don't remember? I mean, I, I definitely remember being super nervous the first time you came to, for our first date. Right. To pick me up. What were you, like, like nervous? Well, because it had been a while since we had seen each other in person. Like, yeah. Like nine months or something. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, we met on Loveline. I was the host and she was a guest. She was promoting, you're promoting rules, right? Yeah. Rules of engagement. Rules of engagement. Um and my wife's an actress, and she was on that show, and that's how we met. And I certainly thought she was attractive. I mean, I, I really did, legitimately. But, you know, I hosted a radio show that was pretty popular in a big market, so I got a lot of hot chicks that would come on the show, lots of them. I never in a million years assumed that you'd want anything to do with me. Like, I never did. I never... That would... It would just... That's like saying... Oh, she wants you to play for the Lakers. I mean, it just, it never even crossed my mind. Well, it's very sweet to be compared to such an elite sporting franchise, but... uh, The best, the greatest, (laughs) you mean. But, uh, well, and, and when we first met, it was like a month after my dad had died. And I remember I almost bailed on... Doing Loveline. 
because because your dad I just was in such a bad place I was so I was having so so many anxiety attacks so much anxiety and probably and probably depression although I think I was just <laughs> depressed for a really long time and didn't know it so that was already there um and uh I remember like changing my clothes a couple times in my the place that I was living at. I also just recently been separated from my first marriage. How recently? That was uh, two thousand ten. So we were. I think we've been separated like a year, but we weren't divorced. Divorced yeah. yet. We hadn't signed the papers yet. Um, and and I think actually. Uh, up until just literally my dad dying, we had been discussing possibly getting back together. And, um, being in, in the room with my dad when he passed, um, with my whole family, I was such a revelation in terms of, uh, watching my mom deal with her love dying and um and I that was I was like that's I saw what real partnership is I was thinking about your mom because she was here recently yeah um I was thinking about like losing a love like I knew I know people personally like I'm friends with people who have lost a, a spouse yeah but they weren't parents like more so than she lost the love of her life. You imagine like you had, she had, they had three kids, you and your two siblings. Yeah. That was the man that helped raise her children. You know, like that just makes it so much more hardcore. Yeah. She was such a warrior through the whole thing. And no, your mom's super gangster though. I mean, she, she's she an, won. I mean, and she's the, an RN. She, she was a, yeah, yeah, she's an RN in that for a long time. And that like, that takes a certain type of grit, you know? It does. But I also think like, she was so incredible in that my whole family was incredible in that, um, you know, you don't know what it's like until you're in it. I mean, I think this is kind of appropriate to talk about this right now because. The lockdown? Lot, well, no, just pe- losing somebody because there's a lot of loss yeah. happening. And, um, and I just remember there there was no like i don't know when you you know living life it's like you expect things to always be so linear you know everything's from a to b to c to d you do this and you go there and you you know graduate from college and get married and you have kids like it just seems like there's this order to how life happens and i think that that was really my first truly visceral experience of how crazily layered and just I don't know, there's not even a word for it. Unpredictable. Unpredictable, but also, like, beautiful. Like, in the worst possible moment, there was so much beauty. There was so much love. I've never experienced as much love as there was in the moment that my dad died. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and and I think experiencing that, it made me realize that my partnership that I had, you know, been involved in for the last however many years was not uh, made of that same material. And I think it was really easy then to say, yeah, I mean, we're not going to do this. We're going to... We, I think we filed the papers soon after that. Yeah. Yeah, it was easier 
for me to hold on to my first marriage because I never saw like that kind of love, you know, like you're the type of love you're describing with watching your dad die and how your family came together and that beauty. And I never saw that. Yeah. You know, and like my parents were never lovey dovey. You know, my parents are still together and they were together my whole life, but I, that's how I thought like good marriages were, where you don't, you don't <laughs> I, like I, hold hands and say, I love you and shit. I, I just thought that's a lot of how, people, I mean, you hear that all the time. Like you hear people say, uh, you know, there's, there's so many jokes about how marriage becomes this thing where like you don't sleep with each other anymore. Or you don't touch each other anymore. And, you know, I think that there, there, there's such an accepted norm that that's yeah. what, and, and, and I think it's, I mean, listen, I, Certainly didn't question it so much in my first marriage, um, even though I did have an example of. Um, I bet you did. You're just not remembering it because I know you and I know how much love and affection you need. And well, not say need, desire. Yeah, but like, to be really be happy. There's no way that you were like, oh, this is content. Yeah, but, this is right. This is right for me. Yeah, but this, the thing is, is I just told myself that that's. I think I was like, well, this is what I have. So this is as good as it gets. Like, I think I just kind of had this complacency of like, I don't know. I think for me, I've, I, there's, there's been a lot of places in my life, which I know better now that I think I was like settling because there, the fear of not having it was worse than having something that was inferior. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 see that a lot I mean I certainly dealt with it in my own life but that wasn't why I clung to stuff I clung to it because and I, I would love to get your take on this I, I think far too many people do things that they're not happy with because they feel like they're supposed to I think supposed to is such bullshit and so dangerous like you were getting at it's like you go to high school you graduate high school what do you do you go to college what do you do get a job what do you do get married what do you do? Have a kid. And it's like, they feel like there's this linear order. And when they're not checking off those boxes in the time that they think they should be, it's like, yeah. well, I'm just going to marry someone. That's because that's what I'm supposed to do. You, you know what always blows my mind about that? And this is, <laughs> I know you're going to roll your eyes at me when I say this, but you walk outside yes. tonight. Okay. And you look up. Granted, we're in Los Angeles, so. Not many stars. It's not many stars. Hmm. But we can see some. Well, there's celebrity stars. There's, <laughs> they're all locked away right now. Um, uh, but like we went up and we did that um, stargazing with mm -hmm. Magnolia yeah. a couple months ago. And uh, they had these like crazy telescopes that we were looking at. Yeah, no telescopes that could see like the edge of our solar system. Yeah. You know, crazy shit. And you think about... Like, really sit for a minute with the notion of what our life is. Like, how mundane we have made the fact that we are standing on a little shard of dust that spins in the midst of, we don't even fucking know. Like, at millions of miles an hour. <laughs> and it's spinning and then flying. At the same time, you know, and and they're and like they don't even know beyond a certain point what what happens. Yeah, and and then you're like, well, 
I got to wake up and I got to go to my job and I got to, yeah. you know, I mean, and, 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 and I think this is tough too. It's like, there's 7 billion people like that makes you feel insignificant, you know, like it <laughs> shouldn't, but you, it kind of does, you know, there's just really not that much of a commodity. <laughs> you know? No, I, I, um, uh, knew this woman who, um, she was a priest and uh, she did a lot of um, woman priest. Woman priest, yeah. But she was she was some um, I don't know what the religion was. It oh. wasn't anything mainstream. Okay, you know, one of those people that yes, I have yes, that yes, I have yes, in my I life. Yes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she she did a lot of uh, you know deathbed confessions and yeah. and sitting with people and holding their hand as they died. And um, I'll never forget, she told me about this man that she sat with him and he looked over at her and he said, it was just a blink. You know, it's like our life is, it's a wisp. It's a, it seems like it's this grand, big, stretched out thing. But, you know, I mean, think about how people tell you having kids are like, it goes so fast. And then you're like, uh, and then you have a kid and then she's like, all of a sudden she's 20. And she's like, what the fuck? Where, what happened? Yeah. Where did that time go? But I think that's. Like by the time it comes to that moment when you die, you look – think about your whole life up to this point. Like it seems like a lot has happened, but also it's been like this, right? Yeah, it's weird. In many regards, my life feels like a blip, like you said. But in many ways, it feels like an eternity. <laughs> yeah. It just Like it depends on my mood. It depends on how, what I'm focusing on. Like what aspects of my past yeah. I focus on, you know, but are you scared to die? No, I'm scared to die young. Why? Not that I'm young now, but what is scarier about dying young versus I want obvious reasons? I want Magnolia to bury me like when I'm fucking old, old. Yeah, I just that's all. I, I'm not scared at all of growing older and dying. I'm not. I, I don't. My mortality doesn't in and of itself scare me. What scares me is something taking me away from you and Magnolia. I, you know what? Early. I, I used to think that too, like especially right after we had Magnolia in the first couple of years. And also I was really depressed during that time too. All, all the good old jolly times of my life. Um, but uh, I remember like about a year after, I don't even think it was a year. I think it was, she was like eight months or something, nine months. And I started to have these like moments where like, it felt like a, just a big dark cloud moved in and I felt like something really bad was going to happen. And I started to feel really, uh, scared that I was going to die and I was going to leave her before she knew me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to say, like, I really have come to peace with that notion of it because, I really do have this truly strong belief that it, I mean, that'll be her life if that's what is in the cards. Um, like, I, I don't know. Lately, I feel like there's been this, this calmness that's come around, like really, truly being at peace with whatever happens. You kind of got to, and Lord knows I don't have shit figured out, but I was thinking about how you said, like how crazy life is, how unpredictable and how, how strange our existence in and of itself is just how weird it is that we are here yeah. living on this planet in the fashion that we live in. 
a part of me thinks like it's really good to map out your goals and visualize and manifest and all that shit and post, you know, vision boards. And but another part of me is like, why when there's just zero possibility it's going to happen the way you think it's going to happen? Well, there's that awesome book that I told you about. Um, Michael Singer wrote uh, called The Surrender Experiment. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Um all about his life basically at one point he just decided to um he got really interested in meditation and he uh moved out into the woods and bought like a tiny little plot of land and then just started realizing that like life was kind of testing him but wait 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 okay i i don't mean to interrupt but wasn't michael singer a wildly successful entertainment like writer or some shit he did something in the entertainment industry didn't no he? no 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 he uh is that his name? We'll have to. I know I Michael. Michael Singer. He wrote. He wrote the, the surrender experiment. I know what you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah. No, he wasn't in it, and he wasn't. He. Okay. Yeah. Look him up. I, the, um, the only reason I brought that up is because I was like, all that sounds great on paper, but I'm. Did he not have like millions of dollars? N- of no, 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 income? no, no. Okay. He he was. He, no, he was not in the. He was not. He. I don't know what he did before that. I can't remember. I'm looking it up. Damn my aging brain. Um, but he. No, he did not have any money. He was he was uh, the surrender experiment. Yes, Michael Singer. Yeah. Michael Singer, and um, he. I highly recommend this book, especially like right now what we're going through right now. But essentially, oh, he's the untethered soul guy. Yeah, untethered oh, soul. I read that book. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, but he hadn't he hadn't written that. This is this is literally a the the surrender experiment, which is his second book or third book even it came it's about the time when he was writing the untethered soul so um he just started uh saying yes to when life showed up and no matter if it seemed like it was a terrible idea or he didn't want to do it he just kept saying yes and it's such a beautiful story about just being with what is and letting it unfold um anyway well i'm reading a book right now which is really kind of germane to that um it's called una out of order yeah you've i really i book. really really need you to read it because i think you'd get a lot out of it but okay. essentially essentially the, the the story is that she this girl una on her 19th birthday she her birthday's new year's eve yeah at midnight on her birthday in 1983 she's 19 years old she wakes up she's 57 and she has a personal assistant there and he's like okay Hey, here's the deal. You have this weird condition. Who knows what it is? I don't know if you came from a parallel universe, but every year you travel to a different point in your own life. The next year she wakes up, she's 27. The next year after that, she's like super old. And so she just banks around every year going to a different year in her life. And essentially at, at its core, it's about how important like your your past, mm-hmm. your future really don't model what goes on in the in the moment that's all that matters yeah. is your is your behavior and your your feelings and your idea and and being being a truthful narrator of your own story yeah you know because she's getting she's piecing together her past you know the it, a lot of times she doesn't know who this person is she's dating she wakes up right and so she has to like she tells herself all these stories about who this guy is who she is in this relationship in reality she just needs to listen to what she's feeling right. you know what i'm saying but I don't know. It's like it's really hard to stay in the moment for two reasons. One, if you're a guy like me, 
or a girl like me, if that makes sense, if you're a girl who has a similar life as me or you're a guy who has a similar life as me, you're really ashamed of your past. You have a lot of regret. You have a lot of pain and suffering and bad behavior. And so it's really difficult. You can't just it's, – it's, it's, it's almost insulting for someone to say like you just got to divorce yourself from your past. You know, you got to get rid of that baggage. You know, I, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. You know, everything I do, I'm always constantly like – how can I be better than the guy I was yesterday and not be that asshole anymore? And at the same time, I'm super paranoid about growing into the future, especially now that I'm a parent. I'm super paranoid about next week, next year, next decade, because I'm responsible for someone else's well-being now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get that. Obviously, we're doing the best we can. I I, I do think though that um, I don't know lately, especially even now, going through this whole crazy fucking experience that is unlike anything we've ever been through. And certainly, you and I have talked a lot about how we have it really, really good. Yeah, um, we're so lucky. And uh, and I, you know, just think about so many people and the different um, versions of how this is going down for other people out there. Um, But we've, you know, it just makes you think a lot uh, because all of the external stimuli that is normally kind of able to distract you aside from the worst of it, which is our phones, which is still here and present and real in a very big way. Um, The other stuff is really removed. And so, uh, you know, I've been really open with you about how frustrated and uh, mad at myself I've gotten because I've been so consumed by uh, what's happening. And um, and I've always been that way. I, I remember when I was a kid, there being some big plane crash and gathering up all the newspapers that I could find to read about it, like obsessively read about the the incident and you know I always remember wanting to like try to piece together what people felt like what did they feel as the plane went down like what you know I just was always maybe and maybe that's the part of me that's the actor which is like consumed by what people's experience people's experiences are of things but I think the more that I um sit with myself and this whole this whole crazy thing um, and, and view people on Twitter and Instagram and, um, just in the neighborhood, just going to the grocery store. I just think like, God, I wish people could love themselves more because if the way that they're treating other people is any indication, there's a whole lot of self-loathing going on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of the when people adults act out like kids are going to act out no matter what because their brain isn't fully formed and they're just so confused and scared but adults when they act out like really act inappropriately and crazy most likely it's a sign of what's going on with them how they feel about themselves but at the same time you would would you agree i'm a pretty concerned and sensitive person to people of the world like you would you agree i am 100 i'm a sympathetic and um kind person i to think the, to the i world think more me. so than most people would guess based on 
your, uh, I mean, it comes out here and there, but I think that people would be surprised at how sensitive and, um, empathic you are to, to other people. Well, thank you. And I, I didn't say that to fish for compliments. My point was, yes, though, did. <laughs> I did kind of. But my point was, is like I am someone who is definitely, I think, loving and, and kind to strangers. I have I, I definitely think the best of people. I'm not. Yes, I, you are. But, the, you are the least judgmental person I have ever met in my life. But I don't love myself at all. <laughs> you know, so the old adage of like, until yeah. you love yourself, you can't love someone else. I was like, I don't know if that's true. I'm sure you can't be as great of someone when it comes to love and passion, but like I've never had a good self-image. I've never had thought highly of myself, and I've always been someone who's like really, really and I, connected to like the world, people in the world, and experiences and stuff. I think that I thought that maybe she got up. No, that's a, we're, we're concerned that our daughter might wake up, but uh, it was just our old blind dog. <laughs> Um, I, I think that you're the exception to the rule. I think there are those people out there that are, um, basically you just are doubly as awful to yourself instead of being outwards. And I, and I think that like, actually for you, what happens is it ends up going, um, it goes like where somebody would be maybe, um, awful to other people and you know that that inwardly that's how they speak to themselves maybe they're not even conscious of the that that's how they speak to themselves um i think you actually let people sometimes um get away with treating you less than because you are believing that you're not as deserving of at least that was definitely more true in the past for yeah. you. Yeah, it's, it's still true like a lot of the time. I, I just, I was conditioned that way too. Yeah. You know, I, I never, even for stupid stuff, you know, for lo- real love and connection, that is very true of me. I didn't really think that that was for me. Um, And I've always struggled with that. But like even for dumb stuff, like uh, getting good grades, I never thought. I never in a million years thought like, well, that's what I'm supposed to, that's for the other kids. I'm the guy who sits in the back of class and fucks around like I'm a class clown. And, uh, and, and I, even for, after a little, it was a little bit of it when I started hosting E! News, but it really got weird. It really got weird for me after I filled in for Regis the first time because I never ever thought that girls would find me attractive which is insane and i got like overloaded with this like evidence that there were girls who found me and but it was and and i'm again i'm not trying to like look for the look for compliments or anything but i'm just trying to get at something like when you condition yourself to believe that you're one thing when you tell yourself one story and the other story is true it's a real mind fuck it's like the old story about the dog who was abused and didn't get fed. Yeah. And then a great owner took him over and then gave him this big fat steak and he still didn't eat it because he just thought like that's what he Absolutely. He, but that's I, what he deserved, you know? I you know, I think I did that I did that work with um Peter Crone and uh you know, something that he I'm said I'm a big fan of his disease. <laughs> Crohn's 
I'm sorry. That's okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, funny. stop. Stop it. Okay, you don't have to point it out. Um, I mean, like, I think it's kind of a heavy subject to be making a joke of. I'm just trying to inject some <laughs> levity. Sorry. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess we could probably brighten things up a little bit here, but um, I don't know though, because I'm I'm getting some questions here that I think are yeah good are good ones. Well, um, I appreciate you always being. I mean, obviously, it's much more important in our personal life. But I always have appreciated how comfortable and open you are to discussing real issues of vulnerability for you. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's why I wanted so desperately to have you on a podcast with me because um, it's really important. And very few people, you know, okay, call me chauvinist, call me whatever. But I found even way less females in the public eye are willing to be. There's something kind of endearing about the guy who's like, yeah, look at my, these are my <laughs> badges of honor. You know, my, my I'm a short, my, here are my shortcomings, here are my character flaws. And, you know, there's, there's always that like rough and rugged loner kind of, tr- you know, that, that trope that you can play up. But for girls, man, it's not really all that encouraged to be like it's in, not, it's vulnerable, not you know? encouraged. And, and what's even harder too is, um, that, don't let me forget the Peter Crone thing either, because I do want to say it. I think it's important. Um, but but is that uh, like as we age and I'm seeing this so much right now because I, you know, am turning that corner in my career where um, just I'm noticing myself age on camera and uh, and have chosen, you know, not to do anything about it as, as far as uh no surgery, no drugs, no injections. Injection, no, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just not who I am. That's not to say that if, some, if it makes somebody, if it actually would make me feel more uncomfortable to do those things. So um, for some people, that is what they prefer to do. But but man, it's been a process of like you know the show that I'm doing right now, um, which is on the CW and. You know, it's like everybody on it is half my age and look flawless on camera. And um, it's so funny because so it's a vampire show. And, um, you know, there's this thing and I play the sheriff in the town. And uh, there's this thing where they the vampires compel, um, you know, the normal folk um, to forget things like, so I, I don't know anything about the vampires and the, everybody that's in the town. And so, um, my love interest who's played by Matt Davis on the show, he tries to tell me and I don't believe him. And so he has to compel me. And so when they compel you on the show, they do an extreme close up of your eyeball to kind of show how it like dilates as the vampires compel you. And so, um, (laughs) they, we're lining up the shot and they put this stand in, in to focus to, you know, focus and everything. And, um, this girl's like well, probably 20 if that, and, um, she's, I can see on the monitor, her eye and it's all close. And I'm like, Oh, this can look so awesome. It's so cool and whatever. And so then I step in and, um, the monitor was turned so I could see it. And I see this extreme close up of my saggy ass eyelid. <laughs> and I, 
<laughs> cried the entire drive home. I was like, I'm never going to work in this town again. I go, I mean, it's just a really bizarre experience to have been on camera for the last two decades and to suddenly see myself in yeah. a different light and to have that fear come up that like, I'm not going to, I'm not no longer going to be a valuable commodity because my face is changing. And, um, it's been great for me because I've had to really sit with that and think about what I find a value in myself as an actor and, um, and to realize like, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. Like that part of it, which is healthy, of course, but, but I also but think, hard, but, but difficult. I also think it's like, totally understandable to well and i know and i know you struggle with this um you know i know you struggle with aging and you're yeah i feel like you're not no i'm just waiting for you to finish (laughs) i I felt like there was a blankness on your face like we're not going to talk about this um no i mean i i know that i struggle with aging a lot in certain ways but i'm fully comfortable with it in others it's weird i really struggle with like losing my vitality yeah more so than like my you know the crow's feet and the gray hair i'm, I'm fine i honestly I'm, i could care less but like losing my muscles and my ability to jump high and run fast and energy and all that shit like it it terrifies me it whenever i see signs of it i go oh my god wait did you just say that you were okay with losing your hair no 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 i said gray hair Okay. <laughs> I was I'm gonna, very much not okay with I was going to call bullshit on that one. I'm super <laughs> not okay with losing my hair. I'm, I'm do you not remember Do you remember when uh you came home from Hoffman and you had your freak out cuz Yeah. And uh you came out of the bathroom and you're like Oh my god and you had your hands out and you're like my hair's falling out. And I was like there was like two pieces. I know. And uh, I was very sweet, but also I felt bad for you because you were in a bad way. Yeah, it's um, all it's all perspective, but yeah, no, I would, and I totally sympathize for men who go through that. I have no sympathy and no no real comprehension of why people, men or women, dye their hair. Well, no, women, I do. I get it. You get to dye your roots and shit. That, that makes a lot of sense. I actually would because I'm going quite gray in the front. I actually wouldn't care so much myself. It reads weird on camera because it's just like I have yeah. like the full on Bonnie rate, like one section of it. But I, 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 I never understood. I totally understand if you're balding, trying to do stuff about it, like even hair transplant, the the drugs, whatever it is. I get that. I totally get that, and and I sympathize for you. I was lucky to have lots of hair. Yeah. But these dudes, I see my age, they're like dyeing their hair. I'm like, what the fuck is even like? Why would you even think to do that? You know, I, I. I think it's hard because even though I feel like in like movies and television, um, streaming, not now with streaming, there's there's so many shows that are like I I do think that we're starting to see more authentically absolutely uh, raw people, especially in women. Um, but however, I feel like part of that is also kind of. Uh, eclipsed by the fact that Instagram is filtered and people look more perfect than yeah. ever. And 
Um, and I think that like in some ways, because Instagram makes up more of our daily consumption of images that we're in some ways worse off, even though like quote unquote Hollywood is actually showing people in more real. Right. Um, because God, if I could just get off Instagram and Twitter and, you know, I tried to cancel my Facebook account like a month ago and they give you, they say, okay, in two weeks it'll be deleted. And then, you know, in those two weeks, somebody will send you something that you have to go on. And once you click on it again, it resets the whole two weeks again. I mean, if that's not some bullshit, (laughs) give me your Peter Crone stuff so that we can get to questions. Oh yeah. Um, so Peter, I worked with Peter Crone and, uh, he's, um, he calls himself the mind architect and he's the real deal. Um, and, uh, he told me, so he, he'll find like these beliefs or basically these kind of programs that you have since your childhood. Um, and one thing that I, that really impacted me, um, because certainly I've done my fair share of like self-help and retreats and all of that stuff was that. Um, he was like, so like mine was, I am not safe. Right. And he's like, but the thing is, it's not just like the belief is I am not safe. That's who you think you are. So even with like worthiness or, or, um, you know, uh, if I'm, if you think, if you are feeling like you're a bad person, I know that's something that I dealt with for a long time. It's not just like those, um, statements. It's not even like you're ashamed, you're shameful. It's like, you are shame. It's like the prism of, of what you're looking through your whole life. You are that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, and I I thought that was really, uh, like profound kind of differentiation of, um, understanding that it wasn't just that, like, I thought these things about life. It's what I, it's what I was. Right. Um, it's what every fiber of my being felt like it was. And then it's so hard to to move yourself out of that when that's who you believe you are. I think that's how you lived a large part yeah, of your life, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the bigger hurdles even with drug addiction. Like, it sounds so dumb. It sounds so dumb. But on top of, like, the physical component, the biological component of being addicted to the drugs and the alcohol... I also like told myself this story. It's like, well, this is who I am. Yeah. I'm a junkie. I'm a loser. I'm a low watt. I'm, I'm a, I, I live on the fringes of society. I'm not, I don't wake up early and I don't go to work. I don't, I'm, I'm this dangerous outlaw guy, you know, like I, and it was so hard even after I got physically got the drugs and alcohol out of my system and, you know, started to try to put the pieces back together. I still had this notion in the back of my head. It's like, well, I'm, I'm living a lie. I'm not clean. Right. I don't have real jobs, you know? Yeah. But it's um, all of it's bullshit. Do you feel like, because I, this is true for me, but do you feel like Magnolia, having Magnolia has opened your eyes to who you were when you arrived here? Like when you were, when you were a kid, when you were born? Yeah. Like the spirit and the energy of who you were? Yeah. Because for me that has been one of the most healing things is to realize that like, that's who I was before a lot of the world told me how I should be. And, you know, one of my biggest 
wishes and hopes and desires and drives is to not be the one to tell her that that's not okay. Right. And so, you know, I think that like, and it's, and it's really helped me to love myself more is to see her in all her glory and in on all her glory even means when she's being a shithead. Mm. Um, but that's just authentically who she is as she's experiencing the world as she grows, you know? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I'm going to get to just so I, can, oh yeah, whatever. I'm just. I feel like we sh- should get to these questions so that people. It's your don't feel show. Like we can do out. whatever. We can do whatever we want. So you and I both tweeted about us doing this um, podcast, and most of the Mikey likes you are based around Q and A. But um, I got a lot of different questions because I'm doing it with you, and some of them are really, really good. Um, my job ended, and I have no real prospects until this thing ends. My fiance still works. I'd lis- I'd love to listen to someone discuss the dynamic of disparity in couples like us when only one can work. I try to cook and clean, but it's hard. Mm. I think that's a really good question yeah. for us too because we've been there. Yeah. Um, yeah, big time. I could not get – no matter how many times Bianca told me, I could not get it through my head that I was okay. I was enough that I was adequate when we first started dating and when we first got married because she made so much more money than I did. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I still struggle with that sometimes, even though like financially things have leveled out for us. It's still weird, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. I, I don't know how to, I can't give you any insight, dude, other than, you have to realize that your value as a husband really isn't based on yeah. how much money you make. It really is based on how you live your life. You can make $10 million a year, but if you're a lazy pile of shit, you know what I'm saying? Like if yeah. you, if you're, if you got, if you sold one hit song in 1976 and now all you do is play video games and smoke weed all day, I doubt your wife cares if you have $10 million. It's the fact that you're a lazy pile of shit that doesn't contribute. If you're hard up right now and you're in between jobs or, or you're working a job that doesn't necessarily pay as much as your wife's, but you're constantly grinding and you're constantly contributing to her life, I don't think women in general care uh, no. as much as guys think they care. Yeah. I mean, because I, th- I really do believe that it's all in the in the attitude. Yeah. And I think that um, if you if if you have a guy in your life uh, – or, or a woman, um, you know, I don't think that, like you said, it, it's, if someone's being, a, you know, lazy ass and not doing anything, um, but really like it, it's more about how you feel about yourself in it. And I think the times that we would get into the worst trouble is when you really let it get to you get to and then you acted like a sad sack. Yeah. Um, because I don't really care. Like as long as you're the man who, you know, when we hear, a noise out in the living room in the middle of the night and you run straight out there to check out what it is. Yes. <laughs> like, that's, that's all I care. And, and you, you know, you open doors for me and, um, you have your ways that, that masculine energy is still very. Lots of cunnilingus. Yes. That helps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 
I, could you? They, there's not a worse word for that than cunnilingus. Yeah, there is. What eating out? Whenever uh, on honestly, love, on, whenever a dude would call up on love line, he's like, "So when I'm eating my girl out, I'd be like, well, stop, stop, I don't go know. down, I say mean, anything. They're Eat, all bad. Eating out sounds, I feel like Ugh. I feel like I feel like girls really got the shaft. Fellatio doesn't sound great. Yeah, but but giving head or a blowjob, like a blowjob, at least kind of sounds cool. Yeah, blowjob's good. But but cunnilingus is it's sounds pretty bad. It does sound like a disease. Horrible. It sounds like a disease. And yeah, you're right. Eating out is not good. So I was eating her out. I'm like, whoa. Wait, that, rewind. That's like what we used to talk about in um you know in high school. Um yeah. <laughs> I guess go down on. I mean that's go down's good. Oral sex a, go down. Oral sex. I don't know. I was providing oral. <laughs> Still sounds so clinical. Clinical, yeah. Hey, have, girls, let's think of a better a better name for it. Yeah, but like, why not make it something fun and happy? Like blowjobs, you yeah. nailed it. So how about like, like, mm. um, like tongue vacation or like clit massage? <laughs> uh, tickling, tickling the no. No, nothing's good with tickling. How about how about how about lip licking? Twat twat buffing. No, because twat's such a kind of hard word. Yeah. Okay. How about beef buff? <laughs> I'm gonna buff your beef. Beef buffing. I'm gonna buff your beef. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll keep thinking. Right. We'll come up with one by the end. Um, you I, go. I I'll go. Uh, let's see. Um. In these COVID times, what advice do you have for couples who are both turning to daily drinking heavier than normal to manage the stress? Write it out. Take a stand. Man. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, let, not, listen, I'm not that conflicted on the answer. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends if it's it doesn't sound like if if heavier than normal, heavier than normal is a big deal. Yeah. But, but I mean, uh, yes, listen, I think that it's like me and my phone use, like the, the first several weeks I, my nose was in my phone constantly, which I think is equally another terrible addiction. Um, and, um, I found that like judging myself for it and getting down on myself for it actually just made it worse and actually made me kind of like compulsively hide the behavior, which was not good either. So I think that, um, if there's a way to like gently ease yourself down a little bit. And I mean, honestly, I always say awareness is the best place to start. If you're just aware that it's probably not a great thing, then, and if both of you are doing it, maybe you can, um, agree to support each other in it and try to find something else. I mean, I know it sounds lame, but try to find a game you can play together or it's hard. I mean, listen, I I think most importantly, this is, these are such, unprecedented time unprecedented times whatever you can do to get through this with your sanity intact um is just mostly just try to be where you're at and i agree yeah whatever you can do to get through this with your sanity intact i'm simply saying that chances are you don't get through it with your sanity if you're by turning to drinking to remedy the problem yeah okay I am not – I hate the guys who get into recovery and they start trying to be evangelists for clean living. Every – you guys and gals out there, you work hard. You, you Obviously, life can be stressful. You want to knock back a couple? That's awesome. I My hat's off to you. But th- there's a massive 
not when people say it's not even the same ballpark. This isn't the same fucking sport when you're talking about knocking a couple back to take the edge off and heavy drinking to regulate a crisis because it's like this. You know how there's the old cliche of the rock star goes into a hotel room and he you exercises his like visceral animal side by tearing the thing up. Yeah. Okay. So the rock star breaks everything in the hotel room, trashes it because that's how he releases that's one scenario. Then a poor maid has to come in the next day. A housekeeper has to come in and clean it up. When you're talking about drinking to deal with stress, you're the rock star and the maid. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So you're just making a bigger fucking mess for yourself yeah. to have to clean up uh, the day after. Right. And but- that's why, it, you know, the, the obviously booze is great to take the edge off, to deal with stress. But the fallout is profound it's fucking profound it's life ruining profound if you know if it gets too far yeah and so that's why i always say like if you're if you have identified that you're dealing with a a a real traumatic situation by drinking more the 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 consequences can be that bad like it all goes away everything everything your life as you know it goes away so you know but you gotta you uh, yes, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that was a really great analogy. But I also think that as I've come to you a hundred times already in the last five weeks and said like I am having such a hard time like monitoring myself, mm-hmm. it's hard. And I think it's I think that that maybe is a good place to start to say I, I'm having a hard time. And, and the good news is that there's two of you. So if you guys can support each other in this, maybe try to find something healthy that you could do together that would be a release for that. Like uh, just go, to go outside and take a walk or there's some really um, awesome workouts on um, streaming right now. I I personally, for the women out there, am obsessed with the class by Taryn Toomey. Um, just Google the class Taryn Toomey <laughs> and, and um, they have a that you can do a week uh, free and it's so cathartic and it just gets me out of my head and into my body and I honestly noticed such a difference in the days that I did that and the days that I didn't do that I can't give you any like concrete this is what you need to do but my wife is totally correct this has to be a team effort one of you can't decide yeah <laughs> Got to put down the booze and then have the other one drinking, especially during lockdown. This has to be a team effort. You guys have to really work. And look, that's the biggest upside to, for those of you who are struggling with addiction, that's the biggest upside to 12-step based programs is that it's, it's a team effort. And it's with the millions of other men and women out there who are struggling with addiction. You, you go at it together. That's the point of communal, the communal meetings and getting sponsors and things like that. You know, I don't like to talk too much about the ins and outs of actual 12 step, but that that is it is that you can't this is not a disease that you deal with alone. It just isn't. Um you wouldn't if you're not a doctor, you wouldn't deal with any other disease on your own. You would go seek help. And there's a massive component to dealing with addiction properly in my opinion that or at least in my experience 
that really relies on you finding connections to make with people who are also going through the same thing. So you guys look at each other as a blessing, you know, because you both identified it and you're you're willing to kind of deal with it. Um, Let's see. What are some romantic things you can do as a couple while not being able to leave the house? Great question. We did one today. We went for a walk. Here's here's what I have to say. Good question, J Jam's hoop star. But it all really depends. Really, really depends on whether or not you have kids. Because <laughs> if you have no kids and you're just there with your lady or your man, the world you're fucking oyster. You could do little date nights. You could do romantic fucking candlelit this and that. Go dancing in your living room. Put on your favorite songs. Oh, if you have kids, fuck. You, you, not none. Mar- <laughs> Bianca and I went on a walk today on our block. We didn't even leave our fucking block. We put an iPad in front of our daughter's face, which is not something we enjoy doing. But we walked down our block back and forth. Okay, like we were walking a dog and we waved her in the fucking and that was our date together. And our to the sweet our friend David Nurse, the sweetest guy in the world, honestly, the nicest guy ever. And he he does a great podcast. He's a he's a NBA performance coach, but he puts up all these Instagram posts of him and his new wife and they're doing date night in, in the house. And it's really beautiful. And I and if you can do that, awesome. But it makes me mad because I see he prepares dinner and they candlelight and the fucking music and he's slow dancing with his wife in the living room. And I'm like, oh, it's really beautiful. Fuck you. (laughs) But you know what? I had a thought this morning uh, because I was talking with somebody about how, you know, the grass is is always greener. And I've talked to a couple of my uh, single friends or a couple friends who don't have kids yet. And I do think that while it's really rough. Um, having a kid and especially a kid who's not really old enough yet to be completely like on her own, figuring out stuff for herself to do during the day. And uh, no matter how old your kid is, they're having to do school. And so, um, we have to do like, we get to do all her, her school work with her. Um, but I was thinking today, like for the most part, she's such a bright light in this. And yeah, she's, uh, uh, she's been a massive burden. And she's been a saving grace. But her but her outlook on life, I mean, she wakes up in the morning and she comes in and she's like, good morning. And she tells us her dreams. And I, I just thought having that positivity around at a time like this has actually been um, bigger than I think I'll ever truly realize, uh, you know. Um, it's hard in the moment. Over. Yeah, in the retrospect, you might. Yeah, um, but I, I do, I think like, you know, Um, there's, there's, it's monotonous, but there's, there is so much unpredictability in the monotony because of her. And so I have just really tried to look at that and be grateful. Um, because why are you laughing? Go ahead. No, uh, the next question I was going to (laughs) read. Just do it. You've ruined the moment anyway. How important is cunnilingus? (laughs) (laughs) Really? <laughs> I, honestly, like all kidding aside, if I'm if if that's a real question, I think it's fucking vital. I think it's absolutely vital. Like if guys, obviously that's you can't get around doing it if you're a lesbian. But if you're a guy that doesn't go down on your chick, that's it's insane to me. It's I, it's life ruining because a such a small and I don't think a lot of guys know this such. A small amount of women have vaginal orgasms. 
most women, overwhelming majority of women have clitoral orgasms. They're, they orgasm through stimulation directly to the clitoris, not through vaginal penetration. So if you're not going down on a girl, it's just like she's missing out on everything. <laughs> like it's all for also, not. Also, do you believe, do you think that a lot of guys are shy or uncomfortable with cunnilingus? Be- oh, I can't, I can't even say Oral sex. Oral sex. We got to come up with a better name. Uh, beaver buffin is pretty beaver sweet. Beaver buffin. I like beaver buffin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, because they don't know if they're doing it right. Yes. So I was I was way more paralyzed with fear about not doing sex right. Yeah. When I was younger, but um, I think that's a thing. I also think that like there's a weird taboo around it somewhat. Like oh, absolutely, like there's a weird thing because I, I think you know I've I've experienced ladies who d- they say they don't like it, but in actuality they're just like weirded out by it. Well, here's the thing: I will tell you this. I also agree that it's vital. I wouldn't have said that prior to our relationship. I think only because I hadn't really ever been with anyone who expressed their enthusiasm for it as I much as it. you do. I love it. Yeah. And and I but that is so wonderful because it makes me feel so comfortable with it because you're so into it and it makes it really easy for me to say do this or do that. Like I slower, think, l- l- yeah, higher, lower, yeah. All of that stuff. And and I think that like um I think that if Okay, if you're a dude and you can make your woman feel more comfortable that you actually enjoy it, then she might actually also feel comfortable opening up to how she actually likes it. Yeah. Um, And if you're a girl, I think maybe you just have to help your guy understand um, how, how you like it and maybe he'll be more comfortable doing it. I mean, I really do believe like... So much in sex is is really releasing into um, communication, and communication trust. and trust, and and you know really absolutely speaking up about what you like and how you like things, and you know not feeling shy about saying I that I really don't like that or yeah. oh it's listen especially for straight women okay because you need to understand take it from me and I do speak for all straight men. Guys like to know that they're doing a good job, which means direct kind of guidance. Don't feel bad or reluctant to say, no, 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 that's too fast, a little slower. Yes, I like that. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, up hot, right there. Uh Uh-huh. That's perfect. Do that and continue doing that slowly. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. In a circle. Because you're not... What will hurt a guy's ego much more is you keeping your mouth shut and then gradually your sexual connection goes away where he just is like not getting – if you are no, – there's no guy in his, in his right mind who is engaging in sexual activity with a, and a woman tells him what – tells him exactly what she likes and he goes, oh, you're giving me an instruction manual? Thank you. Like guys love instruction manual. That's fantastic because – we will assume we're doing things right if you don't speak up. And oftentimes that's not the case. 
Yeah. And I mean, and I think we all come to sex with our own baggage, 100% for sure, because I don't think anyone's had an entirely comfortable experience, especially not in the society that we live in, um, with kind of sexual or exploration. I think it's, it's some version of too much or too little or too much shame or, uh, not enough freedom or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think everyone has their insecurities because I think just as a whole, um, our culture tends to be very closed minded and, um, it makes you feel like shit if you are too open about yeah, yeah. sex. Well, especially women, women. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then, and then on the, on the men's side, I think like it either has to be like very, uh, you know, uh, chest beating, uh, kind of over the top, um, machismo yeah. kind of, um, you know, and I think that like, We've we've had a long road with this, but I think that like mostly because of me. That's not true. Yeah, mostly because I'm not, pretty fucked up sexually. We're we're both fucked up, and we're both fucked up in different ways. Yeah, we're both <laughs> fucked up in different ways. But I'm talking about directly with just sex. I think a lot of the struggles we've had are, are me because I am a sex addict that doesn't i I like sex a lot, and I like doing it a lot. But I have no connection between sex and intimacy. Well, and and I think that's. Um, but I think a lot of people have this problem. And I, and by the way, listen, I felt like I was really comfortable sexually, and it took our relationship for me to really understand that I was closed down and protecting myself. And I think that um, what the kind of sex that most people are having is not the best sex they could be having. And I think that no. if you're with a partner, because most people aren't having sex with me, which would be <laughs> their best sex, right? Yeah, everyone's missing out. Um, but I, but I think that if um, you're with a partner that you trust, um, that you believe has your best interest at heart, I do think that it, you can take it to a whole other level if you take the time to really sit down and talk with one another. And I think that one of the hardest parts in being in a monogamous relationship for a long time is that we start to kind of fall into these rhythms where um, one person wants sex more than the other. But I don't think that that's really the case. I think that it's just that there's a misunderstanding about the needs that need to be met before one or both can feel sexual. Yeah. And I think men tend to, I might be making a generalization and for anybody out there who feels differently, I apologize, but that for gen, for men in general, they tend to not understand the level of physical affection that needs to be given in order for a woman to feel really non-sexual physical attention non-sexual well yes yes exactly i mean i you know? I, I, I guess I, I like you're totally right i it doesn't even i have heard you tell me <laughs> 200 times i need this i need you to be more cuddle i need you to come up and hug me randomly i need you to tell me you love me and really show affection non-sexual affection that's what gets me turned on and I can hear it, I can acknowledge it, I can bank it in my head, and it's like it just doesn't compute because, like most guys, I don't give a shit what you do. You can, if I'm physically turned on by you, 
You can murder my parents. And I'd still be like, oh, well, you're going to fuck me? Okay, great. it's great. Like, I don't need, there's no connection for guys, most guys, you know? And I, I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm just saying, like, the, the, the species of homo sapien, the male, of it, is so driven by physical attraction. Right. That it, it, none of that all makes sense. Like, it, you know, it's, it's a real hard thing to wrap your head around, you know? Well, yeah, and I think that also uh, guys typically have a harder time opening up to the vulnerability of sex because there is such a, a coat of armor around themselves. Yeah. Not, not sex, but like lovemaking. Yeah. For sure. I was totally cool and comfortable with, se- you know, sex with girls who I had no connection to. When I was st- first started dating you, it was really hard to like connect with you physically because – I didn't want to bang you like a porn star. I didn't want to do that. Well, I, I had, I I had other com- – I was. it was like this weird thing conflicted inside me where I was like, yeah, I'm really turned on by her. I really want to have sex with her. But this is different. I don't want to – don't want to grab her by the back of her head and pound away. Like <laughs> I don't – I mean I didn't I, – you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't want to treat you like – Well, and also – Like my sexual toy. I also think that like my level of – how I connected with you when we had sex was also alarming to you. I also think that it pushed you in a certain way that felt really uncomfortable. It was more, it was more just like my first real dose of intimacy and, and really yeah. connecting with someone. It, it was my first time. And like nothing against, I don't want you to look at this as a pejorative. If you're a girl who's listening to this, that might have bedded me in the past. <laughs> I, I don't mean this. To be insulting, I really don't. I, I'm simply saying that. Are there, there was, so many out there that you might have to make like a statement? To the, yeah. <laughs> to the masses? No, not that there's so many. It's just that I, I will pat myself on the back a little bit. That even like one night stands and stuff. Mo- overwhelming majority of them, we are on really good terms, and they're kind of like, yeah, in contact and fans of mine, right? So it wouldn't surprise me if. Some of them are like, hey, I like yeah. this podcast and I'm listening. You know? I, I get it. I think that's very kind of you. And, and I mean it. I, there's not one person where I think poorly of these. I think poorly of none of these girls. Um, it's just that like they made it open that they found me attractive and they wanted sex. And I was like, OK, I jive with that. Right. You're not looking for anything more. We're cool. Right. As soon as there was something more asked of me, it got weird. It yeah. got weird for me, you know. Um. It's a really, really good question, I think, for you. Um, I answered her on Instagram because it was so serious, but I'd love to get your answer and then compare and contrast. Hey, Mike, uh, you live, love the new podcast. Here's my situation. I have been trying to get out of an eight-month relationship that just isn't working for me. I've tried three times to break up, each time feeling so guilty for hurting him, and I get reeled back in. Then he's happy, but I'm not. How do I end it for good but not feel guilty? And this is from from a girl. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think that, what did you say? Hey, mm-hmm. I don't want to say her name. Hey, mm-hmm. you can't feel guilty <laughs> for avoiding something that is harmful. I understand that he has feelings and that's beautiful that you acknowledge them. The reality is that your feelings are no less important. And in fact, they're way more important. If you don't have kids with this person, then you are obligated to cut ties. This is a matter of your health and well-being. If he was the right guy, it wouldn't hurt you to get back together. 
Feeling guilt or feeling sorry for someone is absolutely not a reason to be in a relationship with them. He's responsible for tending to his needs, which are clearly abundant. Well, it's like our therapist always says, uh, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? So if something, um, the point being that like anything in the present moment that triggers you or makes you feel a certain way uh, is actually calling to something in your past. So um, I would say, number one, maybe try to look at where in your family of origin or growing up um, were there areas that you felt guilty about things and would put your own feelings aside to make someone else feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think like, it sounds like sh- it's a, she, mm-hmm. it sounds like she already knows that it's not good for her. So it's, it's really going to kind of just be a probably grin and bear it kind of thing. I mean, I think eventually you do something enough times you'll figure it out. And if you take a stand, draw a line in the sand and really leave this guy, And it's going to be incredibly hard. As time goes on, not only will it become easier, you'll be a better person. Like you'll be a better you from going through that. Yeah. And I mean, and and you're, you're, I mean, here's the thing. I think that um, this is something also that our therapist always says to me um, that is always a kind of a, a, what's the expression? You got to give me more than that. Big pill to swallow. It's a big pill. Tough, tough, pill, tough, pill, to tough pill to swallow. Um, which is that you're benefiting from this, even though you say I'm doing it for him. It's your comfort level. Yeah. So, um, you know, you you might be, tell yourself, "Well, I'm doing it for him," but you're doing it for yourself. Like you're getting something out of the fact that you're going back to him. It makes you feel better. It's your comfort zone. It's not so much about him. So I think once you realize that it's really just you know boils down to what you're doing for yourself, you're just making yourself miserable and it, you have no one to blame but yourself. That's a, that's a good point too you brought up about your family of origin and stuff like that because it was amazing, amazing, truly. It was like a magic trick. You go, whoa, how did that fucking happen? That's fucking amazing. Every, 100%, every girl that I was ever romantically involved with whether I found out on the night I met him or six months down the road, every single one of them, their dad was an alcoholic or a drug addict. Everyone. Yeah. I, I, and, I mean, until you. Right. But it was, and, and even some gr- girls where I was like, they tell me like six months in, they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, the first time we checked my dad in, oh, What? You just thought to fucking bring that up now? This is amazing. And what my point being that what you know, how you're programmed from your from your upbringing, it makes a big impact. And even without knowing it, even those girls, a lot of them probably didn't know I was a drug addict or an alcoholic because I've been sober for so long. But I was like like a moth to a flame. It, it, but, you know? it's, but it's weird, though. I think if you... It, we, it's so crazy, like our our settings, the program, how our how our hardware has been programmed um, from childhood. It's like a it's a sixth sense. Like you can smell 
the person that will feed your neuroses from miles away. And that's why they say like relationships are our biggest opportunity to heal ourselves because we have this incredible, unique ability to pick partners that will trigger all of our old push all of our old buttons. And so, you know, I think uh, unless you're in a relationship with somebody who is is abusing you and um, and uh, treating you um, in a way that's not safe uh, or detrimental to your um, mental or physical well-being, that relationship is an incredible opportunity to to really, truly get to know yourself and to. and not because the other person will do something to make you happy, but because you can find the answers to the reasons why you are so unhappy. Um, and, you know, I feel like we've come down that road in a in a, in a successful way. Yeah. You know, I think that... Uh, well, it's, I, it's helped me so much when I project because of shit going on with me and I project on you. It helps me so much when I get this weird negative reaction because then I have, I'm forced to turn around and like reverse engineer it. And I think the same goes for you, you know, like when you, you act out because of some shit going on with you and I, I get the brunt of it, maybe not in the moment, but eventually you, you turn around and you're like, Oh, I, I did that because of something with me, you know? And like, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Like our, um, you know, our therapist, uh, always tells us to trust each other's intentionality and I think that's such a key to a loving and, and open relationship. And I'll say definitely like our relationship is just getting better. Like it's just gotten better and better and better. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, like I said before, uh, unless it's the case that you're with someone who's um, not good for you physically or mentally uh, is unsafe, um, unless that's the case, then um, – you know, if you're with someone, you really have to trust and you're choosing to be together. You really have to trust the person's intentionality and in that they're not doing things to try to hurt you or to try to upset you or to try to be a shithead. Um, we are really all just doing the best we can with the tools we've been given. And so in relationship, it's really helpful to just try to be as loving as possible and to see it from their side and to see that, you know, the behavior isn't coming from a place of trying to sabotage. It's coming from a place of defensiveness because of, because of the past, because of whatever's happened in that person's life. Um, and that, uh, you know, for you and I, it's, I feel really like it's us against the world or us with the world. I don't really feel like we're against the world, but I just, I definitely feel like it's a partnership. Um, you know, it's like what I saw in that, in that hospital room with my mom and my dad. And that really brings it beautifully full circle. It does. Uh, this is a good question. How does a partner show support for another partner dealing with mental illness or addiction? This partner isn't the most affectionate or shows much emotion when it comes to the relationship. The partner with the addiction and mental illness isn't sure how to handle it, feeling supported or taken seriously. Not a lot of punctuation there, so it was tough. But I think we got the... <laughs> I think we got the uh, gist. So this person is dealing with their partner is has mental illness, mental or, illness. or addiction and or. Yeah, it's rough. Um, I mean, I think we're all dealing with a little bit of mental mental illness, Somewhat, wouldn't you say? Right, yeah. As um, far as addiction goes, 
you didn't put those pills in his mouth. You didn't put the beers down his throat or the powder up his nose, whatever it may be. You physically didn't do that. You can't physically get him to quit or stop. There's a program called Al-Anon, which I recommend for loved ones of addicts and alcoholics. It's phenomenal, and it's so enriching and enlightening to be around other people dealing with the same thing. And I feel tremendous sympathy for people who are the loved ones of addicts because you're very helpless. There's very little you can do. You can't do this for them. All you can do is let them know that you support them and that you love them and that you care for them and that you will help them in any way to get clean and to remain clean. But you will not, you absolutely cannot be a codependent. You cannot be someone who is an accomplice to them further using. If you're a parent of a drug addict kid, you can't support them. You literally have to, I know it sounds insane. I can't imagine it doing to my child. You literally got to kick them out. You got to call the cops on your own kid. You got to do whatever it is. You can't, you cannot loan them a couple more bucks. You can't let them crash on your couch. You can't always be there, always be loving, always be supporting, but never be a crutch, never be a tool or utensil to continue using. You can't. Well, That's the only advice I can give. It's great advice. And I think too, like even in our circumstance, when we got together, uh, initially, you were still in a really dark place. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that I was so desperately avoiding my own problems. And I think that that does seem to be the case a lot with people who end up with um, loved ones who are um, abusing or who need help mentally or, or physically is that it's uh it's much easier to deal with someone else's problems than it is to deal with your own. And so I found that I repeatedly will, would pick partners who um, had some issue, whether it be an addiction or, yeah. or were in recovery. And, and even though you were clean, um, you weren't doing a hell of a lot. No, outs- so I was fucked up. I was a dry drunk. Outside of that. Super dry drunk. And, um, you know, for the first couple of years, I just made it my mission to try and and force you to um, do things like any sort of therapy, uh, spiritual um, endeavors. And that became um, almost the breaking point of our relationship Mm -hmm. because you really resented that and you felt like you were being forced to do those things. Even though I wasn't necessarily forcing you to do them, you felt like it was a no-win situation for you. Um, because it's just hard. It's really hard to be in a situation where you feel like you love someone and you love being with them, but they're also kind of making it so that, um, you've got to do the, do these things and keep doing these things in order to keep the relationship happy and alive. And, um, you know, I think the minute that I let go of those reins and allowed you to kind of go on your own mental health journey is the, really the moment that it all started to improve yeah it's true you can't you can't treat a partner like a child meaning if your child's behaving in a way that is you feel is inappropriate or is hurtful to them or is harmful you can step in you can tell them what they need to do to get better to get help to get to do what you think is right 
you can't tell a grown man and a grown woman how to live their life. And even, even if they're drug addicts or they're alcoholics or they're punching you or they're stealing or they're lying to your face, it's not – you can't take it upon yourself to change them. They have to change themselves. Grown-ups have to change themselves. You can be a nice little lighthouse mm-hmm. to their boat that's in the in the wild ocean at the time. But you can't jump on boat and take over as captain. You can't you, because it never works. Um, no, and you also should not stay on a ship that's sinking. No, that's for damn sure. Um, One more because we yeah. it's 10 o'clock. We got to watch Ozark. We got to watch Ozark. <laughs> how to trust somebody again after – oh, no, no. I'm sorry. How to trust somebody again after the entire family so poor, it has been treated so poorly due to drugs and alcohol. I can't, I can't give you a cut and dry answer. That's up to you. I mean, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't trust someone and because it, it, there's certain behavior that it might not be just for drugs and alcohol, you know? I also, but, I also think that there's a, a, a quite a bit of confusion when it comes to loved ones. Um, that loving someone means that you have to let them into your life. Yeah, you're obligated to keep them that, in your life. At, or to allow them to um, be a part of your life in in any real um, way. And I, I think that it is absolutely possible to love someone and to support them and to have boundaries about where and how they are able to be a part of your life. I always like to think of it as like a house. Um, and that there are certain people that are, um, allowed in my kitchen. There are some people that are allowed, uh, to come in your bedroom. into my bedroom. <laughs> um, and there are a couple people that just get to come to the front door. And I think that's a really important, um, you know, differentiation to make. It's with, a good analogy. With, with people in your life. And like, let's all be realistic. There's got to be a couple people in your life where I start loading the gun when they even get on the street. <laughs> like they're not even making it to the front door. You know, there's those people. They're people. And even if they're a parent or a sibling or a, they could still be dangerous. They could still be incredibly hurtful to you. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's tough. But you, I, I think that's good advice. All right. Honestly, last one. Maybe too personal, but has your relationship struggled with trust issues at all? If so, how did you two overcome them? The reason I wanted to end on that one is because I, I don't really know the answer. I, I don't know if we've had trust issues. The only thing I ever have had trust issues with Bianca over is I don't trust that she's being fully honest with me about what she thinks about me. Then that's your issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, But never like trust like... I, like you're cheating on me or like you're out doing something. I had a moment in time where I thought you were buying things and hiding them in the car. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. <laughs> I, I still think there was a little bit of, of the, some shopping stuff going on, but, uh, I, but, yeah, but you were also, that was like the peak of your crazy shit going on. Yes. Know? Yes, that's right. And honestly, in the greater scheme of things, I think, um, you know, as like deep trust things, we've never had that. I, I've certainly had those in, um, past relationships and I, I mean, 
I think the one thing that's really, really awesome about both of us is that we've both had to do things in our careers that probably would maybe not feel so comfortable for other people. Um, you know, you get kind of wild and crazy sometimes on the radio shows that you do and you're around naked chicks and, and I'm the grossest, horniest guy ever. And I'm constantly telling you about, but we, but we share those things. And I can say that with, out question I never feel like there might be a line crossed um and uh I suspect not to interrupt you but I yeah. suspect that's because you're so open with me about it all I am yeah but also I always had trust issues in relationships where I was cheating or really tempted to cheat <laughs> yeah. yeah isn't you that true you know what I'm saying like it's totally and true and so with you it's like I'm not, you know, not that I have to explain myself, but I'm not even at all sniffing around the idea of cheating or infidelity. So I just don't have that weird feeling towards you. Yeah. You know, like I it just, it never, I'm, I am honestly, zero times have I ever been like, I wonder, like, maybe I should look at her phone. Maybe <laughs> I, I never have. I, every other girl, you know, eh, not every, but a lot of girls in my past, I've done that. And all of those girls, I either was currently cheating on, had yeah. cheated on, or was definitely planning on it. Right. Well, and that makes up, that brings up a good point as well, too, which I think is that a lot of times uh, when we feel something about our partner, it's actually a projection of something that's of discomfort within ourselves. And this is a really stupid um, analogy, or not analogy, but example, um, because it's on such a small scale. But like it was like what I was telling you about where for a while I was getting really pissed off because your shit was all over the floor in the bedroom. Yeah. yeah. And like one day I came and in. And she literally means shit. I was taking dumps. <laughs> all <of them. laughs> but I came in one day and there's like clothes strewn everywhere. And I'm like, God damn it. And then I look over at my side of the room and my side of the room is just an absolute pigsty. And I thought like it's so crazy how blind I am. Um to, to my flaws um, and shortcomings. And that sometimes it's just easier to get mad at the other person. Um, it's always easier. Than to, than to actually look at ourselves. <laughs> it's always easier to get mad at someone else. <laughs> Especially when it's someone you're married to and they have to come home to you every day. And um, But yeah, I mean, I, I would say like, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned in our relationship? To, to finish this out. Um, that avoiding standing up to you at all costs is not a good thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always thought that that was like a chivalrous, gentlemanly thing to do. And I think in a lot of cases it is. But I, I completely overlooked how to have a solid, healthy relationship. You need me to be me and to stand up for myself and to express myself when I feel strongly about something. And when I disagree with you and when I, you know. Yeah. Feel like you're being fucked. I, 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 I always thought, honestly, I confused being chivalrous with being a pushover. Mm. And I, and I compromised myself. Yeah. As a, as a. Well, yeah. and it's not, that's not attractive. Like you can feel the energy around chivalry. That's actually just, uh, uh, serv- servitude. If that, does that make sense? Is that the right word? Well, and it's, and it, well, it's, it's, it's almost like reverse posturing yeah you know it's like it's like you you, there's a difference between being a gentleman and being a cuck 
you know, just being like a yeah. complete spineless nothing, you know? The biggest lesson I've learned, and this has been a more recent one, is like about defensiveness and tit for tats. Yeah. Like uh, if, you know, you come to me and say, uh, you know, I don't love that this is happening. Uh, like to go to that place where it's like I feel like I have to throw something back from my end. That's the biggest thing I've learned in in like really just. I used to think that like speaking lovingly to somebody and, and, um, and, uh, you know, you, you always, every once in a while you come across those couples where the way that they speak about each other is just like, makes you just feel all warm and fuzzy inside, you know, where it's like, you know, they totally have each other's backs. And I feel like we're really getting to that place where it's like, um, when someone asks, when your partner asks something of you, instead of getting defensive and trying to feel like that's, you, you can't let them win is to just say like, I hear you and I'm going to work. I'll do better at that. Even if it's something that I feel like I'm not necessarily failing at. Right. It, it's a weird phenomenon to yeah. think that like. I it, had to deal with that just today, you know, cause I, I saw my therapist, we see a couple's therapist every other other week but i see a therapist privately and bianca and i had an argument yesterday because she came into the room and said i'm feeling really upset about blah 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 and i said well i get it but you know change your perspective on it man it's like why not think about this this this, and this and bianca got really upset at me because she's like i didn't want you to fix it i wanted you to come hug me and say honey i'm sorry that you're hurting and i told my therapist this and my therapist goes, you're totally right, but she's totally right. All you got to do is flip the order. I'm not saying don't if you feel strongly that she's thinking irrationally or that she's wrong on an issue. Don't work to help her see things your way if you feel like you can illuminate something on the subject. What I'm saying is like that has to come down, down the line in the recipe. And the first ingredient needs to be hug and love. And just say, I'm sorry you're hurting. Yeah. Hug, you know? hug and love first is always a good is a good yeah. ingredient to put in the beginning. So I'm not saying don't try to shed, you know, give your take on things if you think you can help. What I'm saying is do that after you acknowledge that someone's hurting and you tend to that. Yeah. That's, and, that's and, the, another and, lesson. And, and just the, I just dealt with that literally today. I have my just, just the just the other thing to add on to that last little little sprinkle is that I think it's also really important to state your need, you know, like to come in if if you have something that you want to talk about to say, I need to vent to you about this, but I really don't want you to fix it. I just would really love to be supported in this. And yeah. I, just, I just need like I think and that, it doesn't that doesn't hurt. But I think that we we should all or at least. I should work on just knowing that going in. You can, but also it helps to be set up for success. And I think like, instead of feeling like our partners are out to get us, that if we instead choose to believe that our partners genuinely want the best for us and that they are trying to do their best for us, what does it harm to also give them a little boost to set them up for success? Yeah. Well, honey, I love you so much. I really do. I love you more than I ever thought I could love another adult. I love that. And I really did. <laughs> I never thought I could love someone the way I love you. And I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast with me. 
the only real downside is that everyone's going to listen to this episode and they're going to be like, okay, can she just do the podcast and get that's rid of you? That's not true. That's and not you true. You watch how many they tweets will, and fucking... They will, like, they will like this one, but they will also be ready for your humor and crass jokes. Mm. All right. Give me a kiss. Okay. Mm. All right. Let's go watch Ozark. Okay. In this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares. We do. We do. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.